I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. All right. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're getting through the week focusing on mental health and self-care. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, so I'm talking a lot more about what that means and what some tips are for that. But self-care is always a very important part of mental health. Remember, it's different from coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms are all the different things we might lean on to help us get through events. Sometimes they have a negative feeling afterwards or during. It's the best we can do. Self-care always is rooted in making us feel better. It doesn't have any negative impact. So a lot of times right now, we're seeing people eating foods that might not make them feel great or even drinking a lot. That's their chosen coping mechanism. We're being loving and compassionate, holding things loosely, but self-care would not be any of those because self-care again, always leaves us feeling better off afterwards. So we want to be focusing on that. Sorry about that. Working from home. So you're going to hear all sorts of crazy sounds, but um, let's talk about some news. Look, y'all, we are doing the best we can with this pandemic. People are trying to enforce the rules, follow the law, and also not lose their jobs. Heartbreaking when you hear this stuff, a Michigan security guard got shot after enforcing a mask policy and also a McDonald's patron allegedly opened fire after being told to wear a mask. We also heard a story of some other people getting thrown around, beat up when trying to enforce these rules. I'm, you know, again, look, you're wearing the mask to protect other people, period. Who would want to argue that? Why would someone say, no, I don't care about my impact on other people. I don't mind if I'm asymptomatic and I get other people sick and they get COVID. Like what planet are we living on? That is such a level, high level of narcissism and sociopathy. Again, the masks are to protect other people. That's care and compassion. That is the the center point of mental health. Wear those masks. It is not that deep. It is not that difficult. And you only have to do them when you're in public. Here in LA, at least, there's a lot of shops that will not let you in without wearing them. I'm, I'm happy to hear that, but it breaks my heart that they might get shot or attacked for enforcing the law and the rules to protect other people. You guys, we got to do better. I, you know, I've shared this on the show. I keep getting interviewed and people keep saying, what do you help? I'm sorry. What do you hope comes out of this pandemic? And I said, unfortunately, I'm not seeing it. I thought it was going to be that we'd care more for others, realize our collective impact, but we're still not getting it. We're still engaging in a lot of discrimination and violence and just looking out for ourselves. Just like I was saying, we see these signs where people are like, I want to get, I want to get back to shopping. I want to get my hair cut. What? 
are, are you kidding me? It, uh, people are dying and you're worried about your needs getting met and they're not even basic needs we're talking about. Your basic needs can get met. You are allowed to go out and get fresh air and sunshine. sunshine. You are allowed to go grocery shopping. You're allowed to go to the pharmacy and the doctor. But yeah, you can't go get your hair done. You will survive. Sit with yourself. Sit with what that means for you. Sit with why that's such a struggle. Oh my gosh, y'all. That kind of stuff is hurting my heart. Um... Hey, Gabrielle Union, I, I love this. She says that parents who throw away trans kids are bizarre, sad, and pathetic. Ooh, she's not messing around. This is because her own child came out as transgendered in February, Zaya, and uh, her daughter Zaya got a lot of pushback publicly, even from some celebrities. Listen, I agree with that. If you're a parent, your job is to unconditionally love and support who your child is. Your child's job is not to make you comfortable or to fit the vision of what you had for who they should be. It's not about you your values. It's about them and theirs. Being a good parent is ushering them into the world, preparing them to deal with the world, but honoring who they are. Again, parenting is a beautiful moment where we get to learn where our work is. We get challenged to be better people. We get to be transformed, right? So step it up. Use your relationship to your child to have it reflected back where your wounds are, where you need to improve, where you need to get more robust and resilient. Whatever your anxieties are, it's not your child's job or role to orient their life around not making you uncomfortable or have you anxious or have you feeling off. It's not how it works. But a lot of parents do that. They want their child how they dress, how they live, how they present themselves, how they speak, the kind of career they have, their sexuality, their gender presentation. The parents don't want to have to be made to feel uncomfortable or to have to grow or change. And so they want to quiet down and limit the child. That has ongoing negative impacts on their mental health. And if you don't care about that, then yeah, that's poor parenting, but that's also just not mental health or care and compassion. Like, come on, y'all, we got to do better. I see far too many children growing up into adults, ending up in my office. And a lot of the work is undoing those wounds. Parenting is difficult. I, I definitely honor that and hold space for that, but at least try to let go and support your child in becoming the person who they are and who they're meant to be. And finally, um, uh, Denmark, they have mandatory empathy classes. Yeah. See, <laughs> we need a lot more of that. Look, the more exposure we all have, to all the creative, diverse ways people can live in the world and present themselves and be sexually and romantically, the better off. Because when we allow others to be themselves, we allow ourselves to be ourselves, right? The harsher we are on others, the harder we're going to be and harsher on ourselves goes both ways. But again, empathy building, we need to be better about that. Like I said earlier, we live in a very sociopathic, narcissistic world where we care only about ourselves and we don't pay enough attention to the impact we have on others in terms of the others' health and wearing masks, in terms of being a parent and how our child is going to grow up to feel and even above and beyond that. So again, focus on some, you know, on the empathy. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about resilience. It's something we hear a lot in mental health and it's an important part of mental health, but what is resilience and how do we make sure we are working and building up our resilience. So stick around. We're going to be talking about that uh, question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out any of the old episodes, you can do so by going to the radio.com or we are channel Q.com. And also make sure you are checking out my new nightly live stream show with experts and celebrities. Uh, it's called I'm listening, stay connected. And that is every night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles and also backlogged on them as well. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back. And I want to talk about resiliency. 
It's an interesting conversation and it comes up when we talk about Mental Health Awareness Month, which that is May. So again, make sure we are all paying attention to our mental health and also checking in on the mental health of those around us. We've been talking about how important it is that we normalize asking ourselves, how's my mental health? Uh, Is there anything I need to address? And also asking those that you're in a relationship to, how is your mental health today, this week, this month? And getting comfortable asking, getting comfortable sharing, and getting comfortable hearing and listening to others. Culturally, we need to do that. Everyone on social media is really good at posting their their best, and not everyone's posting ever their struggles or weaknesses. They're starting to. More celebrities are. I love it. I'm doing that nightly show where we're talking about mental health on all the radio.com handles, so check that bad boy out. But this is an important part of mental health, but also especially in May when we're trying to focus on mental health awareness. Now, we talk a little bit about things like resilience. Um, how do we get more resilient? Well, the first one is connection. We thrive better when we're with others and have their care and support. They help co-regulate us. It reduces isolation. It spikes our purpose and value in the world. So focus on the quality of the relationships you have and you're in. It is a great time right now to renew some, release others, and build new ones. So so do that work. Also, self-care. I know we talk about that to a nauseum, but self-care, focusing on these behaviors and things that ground us, reduce our stress, make us feel more mentally robust, give us access to tools when we need them mentally and emotionally. And remember, self-care is not anything that makes us feel depleted or bad. So it's not things like drinking or eating foods that make us feel bad. Self-care is something that always makes us feel better. It has a positive impact. And then finally, life's purpose. One of the most things, one of the most powerful things we do for our mental health, but also resilience is figure out what we want to be and how we want to exist in the world. And not every one's job can be about that kind of purpose and meaning, but you need to find it somewhere. You will not have good mental health or resilience if you're moving through the world feeling like you're not doing anything that's connected to what feels most meaningful and valuable to you. Some people do get to find that in their work and their career. I do, but not everyone does. And you need to create that somehow. Otherwise, it's hard to feel good when your life is just about work and sleep and then going back to work and then sleep and working to pay bills. And it's this endless cycle for what purpose? And so that's a huge part of resilience. Why, why am I here? Why am I even doing all this? So again, it's relationships, the quality and health of them. So do a check-in on that. What is the health and quality of the relationships I'm in? Are there ones I need to get rid of? Are there ones I need to improve? And are there ones I wanted to always work on and that I can you know, kind of fold in? Purpose and meaning. Um, and also there's this whole left out piece though, that we are often victim blamed by some of the things that are happening out in our culture that we need to be resilient about. But I want us to also think that as a culture, we can start to reduce or remove some of the things that make people need to be so resilient. It is hard for someone to be resilient and work on that and mental health if they're gay in our homophobic culture. So how about we continue to do the work of calling out homophobia? When a friend makes a joke, when you see it on television, even in your own mind, same thing with racism. It is really hard to have mental health and feel resilient if you're of color in our racist, white supremacist culture. So why don't we all, especially those of us that are white, because we create and sustain these things, why don't we call that out and dismantle it and really step up and do the work? Same thing with, let's say, body shaming. We 
we shouldn't have to put it on the shoulders of those who don't meet what we've decided are the criteria for beauty and desirability. Let's dismantle that so they don't have to do the work of resilience. It's very hard and sad when I'm in my office and I'm seeing people trying to do the work of going up against these larger systemic cultural institutional norms and values that are just oppressing them. So even if we benefit from them, as they say, let's use that privilege and that power that we have from meeting those standards of whiteness or heterocentricity or this gym body that, you know, is bestowed upon us or our, our higher levels of class and, and, and do that work and not make everyone that's on the oppressive, violent end of receiving all of that on their own to have to kind of battle that. And that's part of also just suicide prevention. And I'm asked often about that and I'll talk about resilience, but I'll also say, let's change the factors that make someone feel as though they can't exist or don't want to exist in our culture. Um, there was, it shouldn't be on the victim to work on being resilient in such a problematic culture. So that's why I keep saying what I want would love for us to come out of this pandemic with is care and compassion and thinking collectively about how everything we say and do and support helps and heals and transforms someone. It makes the world easier for us and others, or it continues to make it harder and more difficult. So we can all be part of someone's healing process. We can all be part of helping someone not have to work so hard on their resilience because there's that victim blaming, that victim blaming piece in that. And um, there's only so much uh, a human being should do or should even have to do. So let's take some of that weight off their shoulders and let's put it on ours. Um, it's very small things. Again, what you're posting, the conversations you're having, stopping other people, helping educate others, even educating yourself. You know, I always say, please pick one level, one ism and work on that. Uh, racism, homophobia, transphobia, classism, whatever it is, capitalism, pick one toxic system and make that at least your work um, for your life, for the week, for the month. That's, that's part of being in the solution. And, and we all desperately, desperately need to do that. Um, ageism, you know, again, that's another one we're all going to face. Uh, ableism. There's so many out there. All right. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Love line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, let's now go to Jenny De La Cruz, author, family therapist, and grief and trauma expert. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Chris. Of course. Are you are you in Philadelphia right now? Yes, I am. I'm in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's my hometown. PA. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, so let's talk about mental health. How is yours right now? Well, thank you for asking. Um, you know, I try to really take great care of my mental health, making sure that, you know, I'm eating well, exercising, having fun with my husband every now and then. And, you know, as a mental health therapist, I try to uh, pretty much practice what I preach. And so, you know, every now and then, I go ahead and see my therapist, you know, I go ahead and journal when I need to. And because I'm human. And so I think that's really important. These are basic, but it's really key. Yeah, I've, I, it's been interesting. I've I've been going back to some of the basics as well. So my own therapy, journaling is also really good for me. And as we've kind of been talking about mm. a lot, music, I've been leaning more into the use of music to help kind of calm mm. me and soothe me. Um, so congratulations, you have a second book coming out. Uh, Mama, Can I Sleep With You Tonight? Uh, helping children cope with the effects of COVID. Now, 
Very, very important. So thank you for writing such a book. I think that there's a lot of families and parents that are going to definitely access this and utilize it. Talk to us about what we want to know around that topic. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important to know that children um, experience loss differently than we do as adults. Um, We're all going through this together, right? The loss of normalcy in our lives and many, sadly, the loss of loved ones. But it's important to know how it's manifested in children. And so this book is going to definitely give parents um, just the tools they need to see that. And I'll give you a personal example, I actually have um, two boys, six and one that's about to turn four. And on April 5th at 3 a.m., my four-year-old came knocking on my door, okay? He wanted to share his big feelings and fears surrounding all the changes that were happening in the best way a three-year-old can. Um, And, you know, of course, after he shared, he quickly fell asleep and I was totally up. And so I did what I always tell my clients not to do. I pick up my phone and I start writing. I start writing about what I observed in my children, the children in my community, and also, um, you know, the the families that I'm working with as a counselor. And um, this is how this book came to be. It starts with a story Um, between a mother and her son. And at the end of the book, I list the five stages of grief, right? Um, Which are denial, anger, sadness, bargaining, and acceptance. And then I give, like I mentioned, tools. And so, you know, when you look at grief in children, it can look very um, interesting. You might see a child going through an increase of temper tantrums and mood swings, and you might say, you know, what's going on? And not realizing that these stages are not linear. And so you might have a child who at one moment is going through anger one day, sadness another day, bargaining and then back to anger. And then this can also happen in one day. So can you imagine for that child, what that is like, and even for that parent, right, to see all this going on. And so um, I try to provide different um, tips, such as using art Mm. to help children to express themselves. And um, I think that is a great tool. I actually have another story using art. my three-year-old, I'm going to pick on him again. Okay, God bless him. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was getting ready to go to the grocery store and he said, you know, mommy, can you get some Oreos? So I said, all right, sure. And I couldn't believe they were out of Oreos. I mean, I couldn't stand Lysol wipes. <laughs> Oreos. I probably bought them. I'm a big Oreos fan. I tweet about that a lot, but continue, continue. <laughs> so I came home and I, you know, telling him he was really ready, ready. Because we like to have our Oreos with cookies, you know, story time and cookies. And he he was just like, where are the Oreos? And I said, you know, they were, I'm sorry, they were all out. There's, you know, tons of people shopping and, and lots of things are missing because a lot of people are gathering things, you know, that they need. And he seemed like he was okay, but two days later, he was just more frustrated than usual. And so I gave him a piece of paper and some crayons, and he was really going at it. Next thing I know, he was drawing a picture of me. So I was like, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? And he said, Mommy, you're at the grocery store, and you're so angry. There's no more Oreos. And look, you're stomping your feet. And I said, wow. And you know what? I was so thrilled that he had this tool 
to use to express himself because i mean he could have easily took it out on his six-year-old brother and that could have snowballed into something else and i would have not known where the source of that was and so these children are dealing with these changes but sometimes they don't have the language to really express them and that's where art comes into play and i Um, I love it because you're 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 normalizing for a lot of parents that they might not be familiar with what they're seeing and and I love that and then I love I love the use of that tool because like you're saying not children don't always have the words or the capacity or even sometimes the safety to express what they're going through and and art can mm-hmm. be that container so let me ask you this are there any things that parents want to be aware of not discussing in this difficult time with their mm-hmm. children well definitely try not to watch the news with them okay <laughs> you know it's kind of hard because it's everywhere I mean you go on Facebook and it's the news, you know, but I, I would say definitely um, try not to watch the news. I think you can explain it to them if they ask, you know, questions. And I think you have to kind of gauge the age of the child, right? Of course, a three-year-old and talking to a 10-year-old, you're going to have two different conversations. So I would say, you know, to be mindful of your child. Some children are more prone to anxiety than others as well. And so it's really important to be mindful of, you know, how that child, their nature is, and to really um, be sensitive of what you share. Ask yourself, is this something that they really need to know? But I think that if children do ask a question, we should answer honestly. Um, I think that's really important. And, you know, I talk about having that communication that is clear, but at the same time, you know, it's important to get on their level. So with children, you know, you might want to, small children, get on the floor and just, you know, play with them a little bit, and check in and say, how are, you, how are you really doing? It's a huge difference. Jenny De La Cruz, thank you, you for being on the show and thank you for everything My you're pleasure. doing. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Have a great night. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All righty, righty, righty. We are back. And also our question tonight is up on our Love Line IG page. So hit us up with that. Uh, but guess what? It is time to slide into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world out there and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Uh, Dear Dr. Chris, thank you for being an authentic and honest health professional and always leading with your heart and compassion. Ah, thank you. It's beautiful. This is my problem. I feel I've lost touch with my sexuality after giving birth to my child. Three years ago, I rarely feel like a sexual being and my husband and I have sex once every three months. I know part of my problem is lowered self-confidence in my post-pregnancy body. Another part is the change in my genitals. I had an episiotomy that did not heal well. I have scar tissue and skin tags that I feel some desensitization in and around my vaginal opening. I think masturbation is boring. I've always preferred to have a partner. But I should probably figure out what feels good for my body now. How can I get my sexy back? Oh, it's a, it's a, I like that ending. Um, okay, so a thousand things. You know, people don't realize how fragile, or maybe they are starting to, how fragile and sensitive sexuality can be. And that throughout our lifespan, our sexual interests 
And our sexual arousal habits and patterns are going to shift and ebb and flow based on, you know, pregnancy, uh, body confidence or lack thereof, our mood, medications we're taking, illness, other life events, stressors. It's very fragile. It's not just as simple as, oh, if I'm attracted to my partner and I love them, I'm always available and interested in sex. But yet, as we were talking about with one of the DMs last night, some people will personalize it and think, well, there's something obviously wrong with me if they're not interested in sex. So I'm thankful that you have so much self-awareness and that you're being this forthcoming. So a couple things. Lowered self-confidence as a result of uh, post-pregnancy is very, very, very common. Um, Never panic, though, when your sexuality changes. Uh, Because what I don't know 100% is you're saying you have sex once every three months. Does that feel okay to you? Are you feeling like you should want more sex? Are you used to having more? And that's why this feels off. Because you might be moving into a new phase of sexual desire being a lot lower. And that's okay. Because it'll shift out of that as well. So don't, don't panic and don't make a problem of something that isn't. So I'm going to assume, though, that you do want your sexy back, as you're saying, and that that's based on um, a desire for more sex because I want people to go with whatever desire they have. So let's assume you want more. Um, it's It truly is about exposure therapy. When we feel insecure about our bodies, the, one of the best things we can do if we're with a partner that we feel safe and comfortable with is work on having more sex and learning to tolerate that vulnerability. So I'd say a few things. Um, you don't have to have full-on exposure. You can start by having some forms of sexuality because remember... I want the goal to not be penetration. I want the goal to be sexuality because sex shouldn't only be tied to penetration. We should be able to see sex as all sorts of different things, as long as it's about pleasure and connection, intimacy. So start with non-penetrative things, things where maybe you're not fully naked or unclothed. Start with just being able to handle cuddling, long periods of cuddling. Maybe you start to handle long periods where there are certain levels of foreplay with parts of your body that you are comfortable with. Maybe start with the lights lower and slowly work on while pleasured and aroused, allowing more exploration of your body and then allowing more light to be seen, slowly kind of inching your way in Uh, Because some parts of your body are going to stay the way they are and you have to learn how to see them desired, how to get more confidence in them being desirable and also just kind of going with the shifting in your sexuality. So just move into it slowly, but allow something and keep pushing yourself kind of forward as you start to feel more confidence with each level of movement and uh, talk to your partner about it. You know, allow them to be kind of partnered up and reflect back their their interest in still having sex with you. But if you're not enjoying masturbation, yeah, I wouldn't worry so much about that one. Um... Well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> DMs, sliding to the DMs is brought to you by uh, Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you all to explore with confidence. If you're listening to Loveline on the new channel Q and radio.com. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Let's now go to our next guest, Art Alexakis from Everclear. Art, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Dr. Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Good to see you. I always like to start the show because, you know, here at I'm Listening Stay Connected, we're trying to normalize talking about mental health. So let me ask you, how is your mental health right now? Mental health right now. Um... Pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, like anybody, I've got worries. I've got anxieties. I've got, uh, uh, you know, a little cabin fever. But I'm very fortunate to be here in sunny California with my wonderful family and our wonderful home. And, uh, we're, you know, just uh, without being too spiritual about it, just a lot of blessings. So, you know, I think we're doing okay. And, and, and my wife and I and even our daughter we're all very present we talk about things and uh, um, you know it's it's been a couple of months now and uh, we're doing it and uh, we're, I'm pretty proud of us but you know I get a little depressed sometimes money money's rough 
you know, like anybody. I haven't had any work in months. I'm not going to have work till probably late July, August, if I'm lucky, you know, to have income. So uh, the savings are going to be gone. <laughs> Well, I, I, right. lo- I love the gratitude, though. I mean, we want to acknowledge everything that's happening, right? Feel all of our feelings. But trying to remind yeah. the listeners, but also even the patients that I'm still working with doing teletherapy that, you know, at all times, there's sometimes some positive things we can look to and that can kind of ground us. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I learned, I, I thought I had been pretty grounded and grateful for many, many years because I grew up poor and... Uh, I'm living my dream. I'm I'm playing guitar in a rock and roll band. I'm 58 years old. I've been doing it for 30 years, uh, making a living at it, making a decent living at it. So that's living the dream for lots of people, but especially for me. But I didn't really learn gratitude until I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis about four years ago and uh, really learned how good I have it. And I think a lot of people are going through a lot of the same thing now. People who are getting through COVID-19 um, and getting through all this and seeing things open up a little bit, maybe too soon in some cases, we'll see. But uh, it looks to a lot of people like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think gratitude is playing a big part of it because we're getting through it. Yeah. Well, first off, congrats. I, I'm always happy to hear that someone's able to live their dream and, and kind of build a career that's rooted in what's most meaningful to them. So I love hearing that. But let's dive into that piece. 30 plus years in a band and then all of a sudden, bam, you're like, I'm going to do my thing solo. What is that journey like? It's got to have some anxiety behind that. Well, a little bit. You know, I mean, I've always been the guy that wrote all the songs, produced all the records. Um, it, Everclear's always been unequivocally a friendly dictatorship it's my band for sure but doing this solo record like this with just me and one other guy in the room for a year um that was different and yeah it was exciting in some ways and very scary in some ways and i love it i love the end result of it it's raw it's rough i had not a lot of processing uh, pro tooling or auto-tune um, but it got kind of lonely not having people to, you know, to get feedback from things, you know, from music and ideas back. Um, so to be honest with you, I love doing it, but I, I don't think I'd ever do it again like this. Oh man. So this is all we're going to get on that level. All right. Well, I, I would do a solo record and okay. just have, you know, cats in the room <laughs> pretty much. I hear that. I hear that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, mental health journey. You're doing some political and social activism around drug policy awareness. I think that's so powerful. It's still something that's very much rooted in our culture, but especially in music. And I know in looking at your history that drugs have been something that's touched your life both personally and also, um, you know, familially and socially. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, um, I've been clean and sober for, it'll be 31 years on June 15th. Congratulations. That is huge. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm still a screw up in many, many ways, but I'm doing a lot better than if I was still drinking or drugging or uh, not being present about those things. So that being said, uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, like a lot of people in the late 60s, early 70s, when things started going awry as far as you know, families and people, divorce rate shot up and 
a lot of kids, latchkey kids that had never been a term before, and I was one of the first of those latchkey kids being, you know, a seven or eight year old back in 1970, coming home from school with a key, you know, and no mom at home. I know that sounds pretty normal now, but at the time it was incredibly scary for a lot of people. Not for me, I was a kid. I, I thought it was fun because I got away with eating donuts when I wasn't supposed to. But, uh, but all joking aside, I, um, my brother died of a drug overdose when I was 12. A girlfriend died of a, a drug-induced suicide when I was um, not much older than that. Um, I've had friends die. Of, I, I've almost died from overdose several times, been through detox, rehab, even before it was called rehab. Um, so uh, sobriety and, and uh, AA and NA and 12-step, uh, it's really, really worked for me. But, you know, I had to make that commitment to and I had to I had to make that choice for myself. It was it was actually to me when people make that choice to actually do it is one of the greatest cases and examples of self-love that you can see because you're making hard choices for you to be better. Yeah. More at peace and out of pain. Okay, we're going to take a little break listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel, QNRay.com. We'll see you back in a minute. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back and we got Art Alzakis with us. So we live in a culture that roots everything in alcohol consumption, every holiday, every celebration. It's hard to get away from it. So I know even right now I'm watching people online and they're starting their drinking in the morning all day long as they're coping to get through the self-isolation. So what do you say to that? God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's right. Who am I to judge, man? I mean, you know, I got it. I, I, a lot of friends, all joking aside, I mean, it really, it's just, I just want people to be safe and to be well and to take care of themselves and be gentle with themselves and be loving with themselves. And without sounding overly spiritual, I'm an old school punk rocker, grew up in and out of uh, jail. And, and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not your average hippie boy. I'm not a hippie by any stretch of the imagination. But having lived life, I do believe that um, love and taking care of yourself and having uh, being connected to yourself and being present is something that's worked for me and made me happier in my life. And when I coach people, um, that's that's one, one of the things I, I talk about. You know, when when I do life coaching. I, it's it's something that's very very important beautiful well you know again it's working well for you so you're a shining example for others that are unsure or struggling you know and uh, I'm trying to talk a lot on this show about self-care right whatever you need to do do take care of yourself but self-care is going to be the things that nourish us make us feel better leave us better off afterwards yeah it's not the most immediate band-aid of like having a drink or 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 eating a bunch of bad food or something like that you know it's like and for me that's a big deal because i really have to watch my diet with my ms and i feel better when i eat better i feel better when i go outside and swim 10 laps every day 10 20 laps every day um but at first it doesn't feel good because you have to work up to it so it's and i'm sure you come across this 
in your tele teletherapy as well as like everybody right now in our society is so into instant gratification and if it doesn't feel good now it can't be good right and that's not that's not the way it works and as we get older we realize that that's true for younger people it's it's a challenge and and my heart goes out to him that's why i say god bless him man you got to get through the day yeah and if you can do it without hurting yourself or hurting anybody have at it man it could be a it could be a life's work it could be a life's work but it's worth it let's talk for a minute about the 320 festival i'm so thankful that it's still going to be happening online so what's your interest in that i mean looking at your background and your history i can understand your desire to be involved in that music mental health what do you want to come out of this well, I mean, I've been involved, you know, I've, I've had mental health issues pretty much all my life, uh, and my whole family has, um, as has most families, whether they want to talk about it or not, um, or most people. Um, and, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, I was abused when I was eight, I was raped and beaten up, and uh, I, I've just been through a lot of things that I think I can communicate with and when Kevin Lyman who does Warp Tour came to me with this idea that him and other people were doing for for the original live 320 uh, festival which was going to be downtown LA uh, I'm in, I told him I'm in he goes I don't know what it pays I got. I don't know what pay I'll, I'll be there, what do you want let me play a couple songs, talk, be on panels I want to be a part of this from the beginning because anything that helps to take the sti- sti- excuse me that helps take the stigmatism away from the boogeyman word of mental health i want to be a part of it because the the closer we get to looking at mental health the same way we look at medical health or dental health or um, or anything like that you know that we that that, that doesn't have a you know a stigma about it then I want to be a part of it because it that's the future. That's how we're all going to get through all this. That's how we're, that's one of the ways that we're going to come together and we need to come together as I'm sure you know. Yeah. So beautifully said. I mean, if we can't even talk about it, then we can't necessarily address it and get the help we need. And you're talking about some things that are so difficult for us to talk about culturally. Um, so thank you for everything you're doing. Your, your mere presence is healing for a lot of people. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. This is really great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, congrats on the album, on your sobriety, and thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you, brother. Be well. well. Bye-bye. Loveline. This is Loveline with Dr. Chris. On Channel Q. Just eating my protein cookie. <laughs> Pieces of it everywhere. Got to get your protein. You know what I mean? Cookie style. It's the best delivery vehicle for your protein is a, in a cookie. That's what I say. All right. Guess what time it is, y'all? It's time to slide in those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into my DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world out there and we want you to explore with confidence. Dear Loveline, first off, thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you. Now that that's out of the way, I have a question. I've been dating this girl for two years. Things have been going really, really well. She just got her dream job, excuse me, dream job across the country. I am not 
totally against moving across the country with her. But I was severely annoyed that when she told me about it, she was basically acting like it was a given that I'd be moving with her. How do I confront her about this without making it seem like I don't actually want to go when in the reality, the problem is more with her and her lack of checking in with me first? Well, first off, we don't confront people. So let me just throw that out there. We lovingly have, you know, relational conversations with them. Second off, when someone you claim to love comes to you and is excited about their dream job, I want you to not be focused on being severely annoyed about the fact that they're assuming anything. Step into their excitement. Celebrate with them. It's not about you. Don't make it about you. As she should be, she's just focused on celebrating what happened. She's going to figure out logistics later. Just say, that's great. Kiss her, hug her, buy her a cake, balloons. Like, be a good partner. Pull yourself out of the equation. And again, I don't actually think even down the road you should bring up that you're upset that she just assumed you'd go. At some point, naturally, she'll bring up the topic of, now, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Is that something you're open to considering? If you feel the need to bring it up, I wouldn't bring up, again, the part about her not considering you as much as weighing on your thoughts. Hey, I'm not totally against that. Let's talk about my thoughts about it. But let go of the whole idea that she didn't check in with you. I, I think it's a little... Um, petty. I'll use the words the kids are throwing around these days. It's a little petty. It should be about her right now and her celebrating her dream job. My God, it's her dream job. Like be happy for her, right? Just a couple seconds ago, I was talking about toxic relationships. And one of them was that people don't celebrate and support you, you know, and and that's what you want to be a partner who's celebratory. So it's not about you. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Dear Loveline. What up, Dr. Chris? I read your book. Really great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not good at this. So I'll just come out and say it. My boyfriend smells. There it is. Uh, I used to try and power through it when we were intimate, but it became too much for me to handle. So we kind of just stopped having sex. He thinks it's because I have a low sex drive, but really it's mostly because I don't want to hurt his feelings. I feel like whether I'm honest or not, he's going to be self-conscious about his smell or about the fact that he thinks his partner's not attracted to him. How do I fix this? Yeah, don't. I'm glad you're wanting a solution because the answer isn't to just not have sex anymore. You know, definitely not the answer. And the answer isn't for you to take responsibility and somehow play into this narrative. It's that you just don't have sex drive anymore. Look, there is no right. There's no, there's no loving. uh, How do I want to say this? There is no feel good way to do this. It's like when people say, how's the best way to break up with someone without hurting their feelings? There is no way you're hurting. You're doing something hurtful. You still do it anyway. It's still the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is painful. And sometimes the most loving act is painful. And you have to be able to have difficult conversations with your partner. And so, yeah, I want you to talk about the fact that he smells. I wouldn't use that word, but I do want you to sit down and be open. Hey, listen, I care about you. I love you. I'm so deeply attracted to you. And it's because of that that I want to have this conversation that's really hard to have. I love having sex with you. I miss having sex with you. But I, I, but I need you to shower more. I need you to shower more. I need you to use body deodorant. You have to say these things sometimes. I'd want someone to tell me, yo, Dr. D, your breath stinks. Like, I'd be like, thanks for letting me know. Or Dr. D, wear deodorant, because I don't. You know what I mean? Like, that's an act of love. Or there's something in your teeth. It's awkward, but people prefer to know. So I'm sure if he's listening, he'd probably be like, dear God, tell me. Let's not just have a sexless relationship. So be loving about it. Always be transparent about the process, too. Hey, it's really hard to say this, and it's going to be really hard to hear, but it's because I care about you, and I don't want you to misunderstand this. But I need to shower more before sex. Bam. Anywho, that's it. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. 
and we want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. We'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's 10 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for hanging out with us. You guys have an awesome and beautiful night. See you soon. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q.